Welcome back to Poor Life Decision. I'm Chris. I'm Joanne, aka Capital D, because I'm definitely about that life. Wait. <laughs> but but it's supposed to be wait, okay. So the D is for that. <laughs> no, that. Because Beyonce was like Capital B because I'm about that life. Yeah, but so the I, B but the B is for about that life, isn't it? Or am I overanalyzing? Is it just I a capital like, letter? Uh, I when think y'all should have thought this through a little bit more. <laughs> I like to enunciate all my letters. I see that. <laughs> I, and I knew that ahead of time. I don't know why. I, I acted like I did. The capital B me about that life. The capital B me about that life, bitch. Adamant about pronunciation when it's plain. <laughs> yeah, but welcome back to the show. As you can see, we have a third voice chiming in today. We have a special guest, a longtime friend of the pod, my friend Shonda. Hi. Hi, poor life decision maker. <laughs> I already like her because she sides with me. <laughs> she sides, listen, she sides with doing it all the time, and I'm like, Shonda, we are from, we are homegirls. We are from the same hotel and it hurts my feelings sometimes. But when I, when I told Doyen that I'm bringing Sean on, she's like, um, Sean from Twitter? Yay! <laughs> That's me! With the infamous Twitter. Golden Triangle Women. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. We are. We are. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Doyen, how's everything going? What are you drinking? Or actually, you know what? Let's start with our guest. Shonda, how's everything going? And what are you drinking tonight? Okay. So, I'm not as crafty as you girls when it comes to these concoctions. <laughs> and so, I had to go to Old Faithful. It's a Moscow Mule. Mm. And because I was, um, I, I got the recipe from Robin, and he told me that I couldn't fail if I had um, ginger ale, uh, Jameson, and a splash of lime. So I literally call this Moscow Mule Robin is a Mule. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. <laughs> that sounds just like my old grumpy man that I had last week. <laughs> Which we will also call Robin Old Grumpy Man. <laughs> old Grumpy Man. That's perfect. So let's scratch the Robin is a mule and we will refer to this as Robin is an old grumpy ass man. <laughs> so Sean, what's been going on with you this week? Um, you know, countdown to graduation. Um Yes. For those uh, who don't know, um, I am the proud mother uh, who, of a soon-to-be Howard graduate. And so, <laughs> it's been a long, tedious journey, but yeah, we made it. 
Um, she graduates May the 11th, and so I am planning her um, her graduation reception and trying to coordinate friends and family who are coming in, and then the norm, the, the work, and the uh, you know how they put the, put their their foot on your neck and try to make you do things, you know, for that you actually get paid to do. Um, <laughs> and that that's about it. Okay, you know, we have to have a show about um daughters or not necessarily daughters, but children and mothers who carefully orchestrate their lives. <laughs> because <laughs> Shonda has crafted her baby's life from from womb to graduation. <laughs> like she has crafted but Shonda is a very nurturing type that if she if she sees like any potential in you, and you only have to be like a year younger because I'm only two years younger than Shonda, but like mm-hmm. she she has been like mothering me since high school, <laughs> and I appreciate it. <laughs> you can go out on that field on McAllister Field, and you could be the best cheerleader that Westway High School has ever seen. And don't let anyone tell you different. Listen. <laughs> I'm a living witness. I'm a living witness. Okay, so Doyen, how are things going with you, and what are you drinking? I'm good. Um, I've been I've been very inspired by Beyonce, but I've been very much struggling for these past two days. So I think I was cleaning up like hardcore on Saturday, and today I still have back pain. And oh, I'm like, oh, is this a thirty thing? Oh. <laughs> I'm like, this used to be like a one day thing, like lay on the, you know, heating pad and be fine. But uh, we just got to keep laying on the heating pad. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I was trying to eat better today. So I was trying to, you know, cut some carbs. I ate like turkey meatballs and cucumbers for lunch. And then I ate an apple, and I really felt Beyonce like in homecoming when she's like, "I'm so hungry," and I was like, "Yes." Listen, when she said, <laughs> "And I'm hungry," <laughs> I felt that in my spirit because oh, we've all dieted and felt that. Like right. <laughs> it was very uh, a very real emotion. It it, it really was right. And I just I keep thinking about we'll talk about it later, but I keep thinking about she had a C section. And she mm-hmm. got back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, Beyonce can have a C-section and bounce back. I can eat these meatballs and <laughs> cucumbers and be okay. Which was not on her diet, but I see where you're going. And I <laughs> oh, yeah, she totally ate me. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, I totally ate me. She didn't eat me. But anyway. No, um, it's, it seemed like all she ate was air and ice. But like you said, we'll get right. to it later. We'll get to it. So, um, as... As she continues to inspire me, I decided to try to go a little lighter on the pod today. So I'm just having um, a vodka soda. It's basically, it's called, this vodka is called Frankly Organic. It's organic vodka with organic fruits and organic stuff to flavor it. So I feel kind of healthy, sort of. Okay. I'm hungry. <laughs> I ate a lot of wings before this. <laughs> Drinking makes you hungry, though, you know? I just don't think I've eaten enough today. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> I <laughs> do not talk about me. Oh, well, first, I'm going to say that this um, this past week and weekend, I didn't do too much. We had a couple of bad weather days, which 
sucked. Um, and then also I spent this Easter with my family. I was at my granny's house eating pie, so that always makes me happy. And today I am drinking. <laughs> so I no, forgot to <laughs> Doya has already talked about me and I know Sean is gonna chime in too. <laughs> I um I I forgot to go to the liquor store when I was out earlier today. So while I was <laughs> while I was in the grocery store, yes, I grabbed a bottle of barefoot wine and I'm not ashamed. You know, sometimes we have to remember where we came from. Yeah, we do. We <laughs> so do. so yeah. I am drinking a nice barefoot Merlot. <laughs> I have not had barefoot since we were on Metal Hill Road. Lord, have mercy. You took it all the way back. You're going to have a headache in the morning. I, I'm going to have to drink. I, I have my water right here with me. And so I'm going to just have to alternate. If you would have gone to a liquor store or bought reputable wine, you wouldn't have to drink water. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> sometimes we gotta make do with what we have for what I wanted I wouldn't have been able to stop at one of the liquor stores near me I would have had to go all the way back to where I had come from and I just wasn't gonna do it so I just said you know what we're gonna grab this bottle of wine and we're gonna make it do what it do well so we're gonna go ahead and dig up to our current events okay I do want to clarify Today I found out that Beyonce got this paid the same as Ariana Grande. Yeah. So sorry for coming for Ariana Grande's <laughs> <laughs> Did you see but, that someone threw a lemon at her? I guess that was what it was in reference to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The hive is crazy. We're sorry. Um, but uh, out of homecoming, there are sources the report that Beyonce has a $60 million Netflix deal. It's supposed to be three things for us, <laughs> which I'm super excited about. <laughs> and honestly, like what they were talking about, like other deals and Dave Chappelle got like $60 million. So I feel like we're doing good. <laughs> and she got it too. I also heard that, um, yeah, as we know, like she released Lemonade via uh, the platform uh, HBO, and uh, Netflix came up with a bigger, better deal. And so mm -hmm. I think we need to applaud her savvy. Um, yeah. And, you know, not only. Uh, yeah, like uh, the, the content and the accessibility, because everyone doesn't have, you know, the, the HBO streaming services. So um, Netflix makes Beyonce more accessible to us all and we all need a little bit more Beyonce in our lives. Yes, it cracks me up tomorrow. She's like, here's lemonade. Damn, y'all been looking for it this whole time. <laughs> 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 One of my sister was like, um, she was like, how do I get lemonade? I'm like, you pay for it. <laughs> well, it, it was on Apple Music at one time, but I I bought it. So when they took it off, it didn't bother me. But I think they put it back on. I don't know. I don't know. But I try to buy, you know, Beyonce. Yeah, I, I buy for the most part. Yeah, I buy. I need to go pay for that other album. But anyways, <laughs> the, uh, the Coachella one. 
Anyways, so moving along. I think of this in the same vein as I think of MBJ. Like, I want this person to be happy, but I also very much enjoy their heartbreak music. (laughs) 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 Or MJB, sorry. Um, But, so, it turns out Adele and her husband have separated. And I think a couple weeks ago, we heard that she was in the studio. So... (laughs) Listen, <laughs> I'm ready. And I, I'm like you, I hate to be that person because y'all, Mary J. Blige did an interview with Angie Martinez. Now, if y'all know, her and Angie Martinez are like BFFs in real life. Like yeah. they are real life friends. And Mary was saying, and well, Angie was saying how much people like when she's sad because her music is so good and Mary was being very open very sincere she was like I hate that shit you know I I, you should if you're my fan you should want my happiness you know she's being very open and sincere and Angie goes yeah girl but the music be good (laughs) come on Mary let's keep it a buck you are my lover and my secretary okay working every day of the week those are those are heartbreak anthems that women can so readily identify with so i understand like you know a happy upbeat you know mid up that's great but you know we also want some of those raw emotions that come with heartbreak and then following that up with how to heal and so i think there are certain artists in that they've kind of carved out that niche and Mary J is one of those artists and it's not saying that we personally want her to be in a constant state state of sadness so that we can have like the album of the year but I mean when you going through some hard times you you open up the book of Mary (laughs) (laughs) even like let her her sing your blues away (laughs) even at 25 I felt like she was just like here's your album damn and like I can like yeah, it was just, it was different. But also, did y'all see, like, they like, her and Drake went to dinner <laughs> and went to a fake one? <laughs> I was going to bring that up. You know what I was going to bring it up. Yes, I saw I was that. Like, at first, I was like, Drake, don't fuck this shit up for me. But then I was like, you know what? Drake's going to fuck this shit up and the album's going to be better. <laughs> Wait a minute. You know, I must have missed that tweet. So are y'all saying that Mary J. Blige and Drake. Wait a minute. No. Adele. But they're not like dating. He just took her out to dinner and they went and played um they went and played uh bowling. They went and played bowling. bowling. They went bowling. <laughs> they went out for hookah. Like I think they were just hanging out, but it was like mm. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> it's Mr. Studio Girl. Oh wait, no, that's Trey Songs. <laughs> I like at the end of the day, I I expect Drake to fuck it up whichever way, so we should be fine. If she makes her happy, if he makes her happy, I'd be real mad at him because this was the album. <laughs> yeah, and because she is super um, creative and he's super creative, that might have been just her being getting in a space around you know someone who maybe she could feed off of creatively. So I'm not mad about her and Drake hanging out. I mean, they, if he anything, maybe- I feel like. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to no. say he may be working with, uh, you know, with her on the album. He may be producing something or rapping on a track. I don't know, or singing on a track. So, you know, I didn't read too much into it, but it was just 
it, it was funny. Yeah, I could see that. Or Drake could come up with a song that's like a sample of one of her songs. It'll be a remix for the summer. Ooh. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't feel bad about a Drake and Adele, co- you know, collab. No. No. At all, actually. I definitely wouldn't. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I've been waiting for this Adele Beyonce collab, like, forever. <laughs> when is that going to happen? <laughs> I don't think it will. You know, I've always been really conflicted about Adele. In yeah. the sense of, like, I think she's an amazing singer. I think that she is, she has powerful songs. She has powerful ballads. But I've always felt like, didn't Jill Scott do this? And why isn't she as popular? Yeah, that's what a lot of the um, black R&B singers feel about her and Sam Smith, you know, all the same. And uh, Ed Sheeran as well. Like, what do they call it? Blue-eyed soul? It's like, we've been doing it and we do it better, but because they're white, it's like this anomaly. Kind of like the white rapper thing. Only hip-hop doesn't really allow white rappers to ascend in the way that soul has allowed, you know, Adele and the such to uh, Tori Kelly, you know, the way they've allowed them to ascend. Yeah, I've heard that argument a lot, and I agree that, you know, everybody deserves, you know, it I agree that it looks funny in the light. I know for me, I feel like Adele's super dope, but I also feel like I can almost go to any Southern black church on a Sunday right. and, and find an Adele-esque or a power or power ballad singing a soprano or alto almost yeah. at any black church. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, part of it, personally, I was going through a breakup when 21 came out, so that I connected very strongly with that. But I think it's almost like Rachel Dolezal, like when you're like white or you're light, it's rare mm-hmm. compared to like, yeah, like there's so many of us black women that can sing <laughs> that it's not even like, you know, it's not an anomaly. And so when they find a random white one, they can sing and sing like, not like the diet soda version of a song. You know, they try to, you know, praise that. And and it's almost like if you look at the trajectory of where R&B has gone for, you know, the folks like, let's say, you know, Tamar, K. Michelle, like they've been kind of put into this box about what what is acceptable R&B for a black girl. But then... Mm -hmm. Adele can sing a power ballad, kind of mm-hmm. reminiscent of a Whitney Houston, you know, type song, and it gains the traction that, that those types of songs normally don't don't gain as much now. So I just always find it interesting right. watching how um, she becomes, you know, she she has become like this international superstar. And again, like I could pluck an, a, a person with. That those types of vocals and that type of power behind their voice almost out of any black church. Uh, saying all that, I listen to every one of her albums, and I think she's an amazing singer. But yeah. I always feel a little guilty because yeah. like, man, this should be this should be Jilly from Philly right here. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna move along to <laughs> Chris putting not my scar. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they, you know, they're doing this 
whole live action Lion King thing. And so they released, like, I guess pictures or footage of Scar, and everybody was like, that's not Scar. <laughs> like, that looks nothing like the cartoon. <laughs> like, so. <laughs> I like Scar. Well, I like the song Be Prepared. <laughs> Oh, oh God! <laughs> I really wasn't a Scar fan, which everyone who knows me know I love a good villain. So, I, but I really wasn't that fond of Scar. I just like the song "Be Prepared." But <laughs> are you prepared, though, Chris? Because niggas need to be prepared. I mean, I try to prepare though. But okay, in my professional life, yes. <laughs> <laughs> in my real life, never. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> I just feel like because it's computer generated, so why couldn't they make his main dark? Girl, okay, okay, okay. Enough of this. Enough of this. I'm about to break this shit up right now. We cannot expect Scar from the animated, the animated movie, to look like this real life, the real life live action, which is the live action version is supposed to be more familiar with what real life would dictate. Right. We can't expect that scar to have an a Hawaiian silky and some uh, beauty shop uh, colored contacts. We can't I, expect that. I did not have a pro- I didn't have a problem with the live um, action scar. I just thought it was funny how everyone else. And one of the things that they said was like they made Scar look malnutrition. Um, he was. <laughs> he was. He was malnutrition. He wasn't eating like everybody else. I think, oh, and uh, Lizzo, which has a new album out. I've downloaded it, but I haven't listened. Y'all check Lizzo out. I love her, and I want her to win. You've listened already? I've listened to the album. It's just as great as the other two. And going back ever so briefly to the whole Adele situation, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so happy that there is Black representation of a singer who is body positive, yes. you know, because Lizzie's very body positive, Adele is very body positive, and we're not there by put into that little box where all R&B singers got to be six, six figures, and I'm happy for Lizzo. But yeah, so <laughs> I don't even know where we were going with that, but well, I just I, had to say that about my girl. And her album is amazing, and everyone should listen to it. I cannot wait to listen to it, but she she tweeted... Why did they take Scar's weave out? <laughs> Listen, again, why do y'all expect Scar to have a, a Hawaiian silky? Everybody oh, was just in their feelings about it. It's ridiculous. CGI, computer generated. They could have darkened up his face. Like, I don't understand. Like, really, because I used to be really big into the Lion Witch and Wardrobe. It's a good, the. Mine that they have a scar reminds me of Aslan. Like the No, he did not. <laughs> Aslan looks glorious. What are you talking about? He's a little bit too Aslan. glorious to be a villain. <laughs> Aslan was born in the wind. Aslan wasn't the villain. No, I'm saying Scar looks too glorious oh, to be a oh, villain. Oh, 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 okay, got it, got it, got it. This is all weird to me. I don't really like the idea of a live action Lion King. <laughs> I want Disney to leave the live actions alone. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I'm just here for Beyonce. <laughs> I'm only here for Beyonce. But, I'm, you know, I'm going to give him a fair chance. Like I said, to me, he doesn't look bad. I mean, he looks like 
<laughs> to make it look like he should. But apparently the internet's specifically black Twitter is really upset. One guy was like, this is pure Mufasa propaganda. <laughs> oh my gosh. I thought it was Twitter rage got run amok. <laughs> Come on, guys. Like, Trump is still in office. Are we really tripping over what Star I mean, looks like? I mean, I, I am here for it. I am, like like Doria said, I'm here for Beyonce, basically. So long as Nyla look all right, I'm straight. <laughs> I, like I say, I just feel like they could have darkened up for me, but it's okay. Also, uh, I think that was one of the first movies my family got me. And I don't know why, because that movie, like, really terrorized me. So I used to run around the house, like, what? <laughs> when shit was going down. So my sister sent me, like, um, like an Instagram story of um, this little girl like freaking out when you know Mufasa died. I'm like, oh yeah, that is me. <laughs> I don't even know if I, I could handle the actual movie. Aww. Yeah. Are you gonna need someone to go with you and hold your hand? <laughs> Maybe. But you know, also to torture myself, I saw it the Broadway on like Father's Day, which was a really bad idea. <laughs> oh, listen. I I was just no the broad I I love the Broadway when I went with your sister. Your sister took me actually. Yeah. And it was amazing. Listen, I mean the show two seconds in, I was bawling. Of course everybody looked at me like, really? Okay. We know the story. We know the story. We know what happened. I was taken yeah. over by emotion. Like, it was just, <laughs> I, it was just, oh man. Okay. Anyway. Especially like the song, because again, it was Father's Day post Father's Day. Yeah. So yeah. it was talking about how, like, he's still with you. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. This on YK. But it was great. And I still listen to the soundtrack regularly. Yeah. Soundtrack's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. All right. So moving along. So. Of course, it is um, just a political show right now. <laughs> um, you know, Dems are very much in control of the House, and people are trying to run for president. So the the topic of reparations seems to have come back up. And so it's interesting because, like, <laughs> in the article, they're like, Obama was anti-reparations. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Right. <laughs> but, um, they're talking about different candidates that are actually for it. And then I think Cory Booker helped to write a bill just to like discuss <laughs> the idea of reparations. I mean, I personally, so this is how I feel about it. I want the conversation to be had. I think that it is possible. However, I don't know how. And I also feel like it's not my job to know how. I just feel like, you know, that's why you're the lawmakers and the decision makers. You all can figure out a way to make this happen. But I definitely feel like it is something that can happen. Um, one thing about the article that I noticed was they really didn't. So, And I could be wrong. I could be dead ass wrong. But I thought that it was actually, well, you know, I just forgot her name that fast because mm -hmm. I'm only sitting here drinking. Oh, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth mm -hmm. Warren was the first politician in this current, right, you know, currently running for president that I remember 
bringing the topic up. And she's been kind of leading. And I don't know if she's serious. I don't know if she's doing it just to get my vote. You know, I don't know what it's about. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 of course, agree with her. And I'm happy that she is bringing that conversation forward. But she has mm-hmm. been in the forefront on that reparations conversation. She has, and um, I appreciate that it, it's becoming a part of the narrative in this election cycle. Um, but I have some thoughts and feelings about it. Um, some some very strong thoughts and feelings, actually, because my fear is is that one, there are some folk in the electorate who will see this as a very um, a, a very interesting um, election topic, and what I don't want to see is that the moderates who so oftentimes get to pick who our president is, um, I don't want to see the moderates get scared away by talks of reparations. And so that's like a, a thing that I'm trying to wrap my mind about is how to, uh, how should the Democrats bring this, bring this issue to the forefront, but also not alienating people who may honestly not even understand, right. you know, why rep- reparations should be granted and 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 the African American community and those who have the lineage of slavery um and and so have slavery in their lineage rather how we should be made whole and so like one of the things that I think about when I think about reparations is um Tanahisi Coates wrote the case for reparations for the Atlantic right and he starts it off by saying 250 years of slavery, 90 years of Jim Crow, 60 years of separate but, but equal, 35 years of racist housing policy. Until we reckon with our compounding moral debt, America will never be whole. And he goes, and we're all daughters of Mississippi, and he goes into this narrative of, um, you know, tra- tracing certain individuals, for example, this guy named Clyde Ross, who was born in 1923, the seventh of 13 children near Clarksdale, Mississippi, and how, you know, in that lineage, how it's affected, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> those that came after him. And so, you know, when you study, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have read it, and if you haven't, I encourage you to, it's a great piece that really did kind of start a couple years ago, I forget when this was written, but it really brought reparations back into like the forefront of what we talk about, you know, when in regards to, to politics when uh, Ta-Nehisi was with the Atlantic. I think it was written around 2014. And so we see now some steps that have been made, like from Georgetown, where Georgetown basically, um, their student body has, has voted to make whole some of the students that were that they could validate but that they could validate that those students their lineage it was tied to some of the slaves that were sold when georgetown was in financial dire straits and so we we see that as like some steps and like that that have been made and so you then you start to think about well and and to your point you said you don't know how and that's like a big thing right because the how of it means a lot as we continue to to talk about it and if it becomes more and more of a topic in 2020 is like when political figures who are running for office they say well you know since under my tenure as you know mayor or governor or you know state rep or or senator 
um, crime rates have gone down exponentially. And that's like something that you really can't quantify on a personal level, right? Like you kind of figure out, well, have, have I been a victim of a crime? You know, do I feel safe in my home? But like, how do you quantify whether or not crime rates have really gone down with reparations? There's going to be something old. Right. And it scares me when if if they're not able to make it a reality, but they have, you know, courted the African-American community and the African-American vote, premise support reparations. And th- then we get into another, you know, wall scenario where something was put out into the atmosphere with no real plan <laughs> of how to make it a reality. And again, a reparation is something tangible, right? That's either, you know, in the case of Georgetown, it might look like tuition. What is it going to look like means a lot because can't continue. And I think we saw this in 2016 is that a lot the natives are restless when it comes to the Democratic Party and how we feel um, as black people when we give an overwhelming numbers our vote. And we may or may not see the net effect of that vote. So it's really interesting. Didn't mean to ramble that long, but it's going to be interesting to me to see how they could tangibly give something to black folk, which we are owed, and it's equitable and and not chaotic. And, you know, I don't want it to just be a talking point, right. you know, right? because that will further the divide of how we feel about, you know, going out in overwhelming numbers and we saw a lot of folks in um in 2016 that opted to do Jill Stein because they felt like their vote wasn't being affected by voting Democrat. And so it's going to be interesting to see how these political talking points become actual, become reality, or if it's just going to be something to get folks elected. One of the things that kind of um, gives me pause with the how, it's like, for instance, with the university and what they're doing, one of the issues that arise because of slavery is that it's very difficult for us to prove who we come from. It's very difficult for us to prove who our ancestors are. We don't know how. And the confines of slavery made that possible. You made it possible to where I can only go so far back in on my family tree. I don't know. So that was an issue that like immediately arose to me. Yeah, because we're several generations removed, right? So... We're several generations removed, but my great-great-grandmother, who died when I was in the sixth grade, so I do remember her, she was born into slavery. So we're several generations removed, but, I mean, you know, it's just, you still, can you go back on working memory? And I, because other people in my family have since passed away in that time, and I didn't know back there that I needed to be asking these questions and getting all of this knowledge. So it's like a lot of things that we just don't know because it's not documented. We only know word of mouth. We only know our oral history. Yeah. And that that's true. That's a very valid point. And when you think about like the systematic infrastructure um, to basically do black folks dirty, you know, you look at things like the black farmer settlement, and it was amazing to me. I know, you know, all three of us from Mississippi, we're Mississippi um, born and bred. But it was amazing to me because I'm from a small farming community um, in mm-hmm. northeast Mississippi. And seeing like all of my, uh, a lot of my family actually 
you know, filing for this discriminatory, um, you know, this suit that basically said that black farmers were categorically and systematically discriminated against when it came to getting loans. And so, um, you know, the, the, the mumble, the mumbling of, you know, hey, this is going on started to permeate our community. And then next thing you know, folks were actually looking deeper into it. And then, you know, the, the net result of that was eventually there were some, there was a settlement and there was some checks being cut to black, to black farmers. Um, and so like that's an example to me of how, you know, just the systematic things that have happened to black folks where we struggle to, you know, get ahead because sometimes it's like all of these different layers of things that have been structured to cre- um, create these barriers. And like, I think about that and, and juxtapose that with reparations. And like, I had no idea that, you know, this whole black farmers thing even existed, that, you know, we just weren't getting these loans. Yeah, I my like I said, my biggest concern is just the proving. But also what I found, uh, I, it was like a chuckle moment at the end of the article from Politico was when the, um I forgot he was a senator or representative from somewhere. Oh, from Charleston, from South Carolina, Representative Joe Cunningham. <laughs> what he said was that, you know, it's not something that he heard come up a lot in his district. And then he goes on to say, people are concerned about the cost of their health care. But that, my friend, is a part of reparations. And I think that's one thing that they're going to have to do is make sure that, because I, I do think that the the topic of reparations for a lot of people equals check or money. And I think that with a lot of moderates who may not fully understand that that point needs to be explained. Because of slavery, we have been shut out of so many things, including but not limited to proper health care. So having that conversation of how to rectify this, it doesn't mean you send me a check in the mail, but maybe make sure that black mothers aren't dying at alarming rates during childbirth. Like it comes Mm -hmm. in different ways. So. That's that's all I have to say about that, and then we can move on. But I just I just thought it was interesting how this conversation has come back to the forefront. It kind of goes in cycles, you know, and this is a yeah. cycle where it's come back to the forefront. And I really want people to understand that ain't nobody talking about sending me no check in the mail. I mean, that would be great, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fixing the wrongs. Even like you know, I am a first gen, but there's so much. Like, I still feel the kind of like the ills of like slavery in our past in this country because when they see me, they don't say, Oh, that's a Nigeria. No, (laughs) right. (laughs) They see me, I'm black, and they treat me as such. So, yeah, I I think honestly, I just feel like people are just gonna continue to kick the can on this conversation. I don't know if it's ever gonna happen, but yeah. I feel like Chris just keeps forcing this topic upon me. <laughs> Every single time she gotta do something, she brings this up. <sighs> so Krusty Black got arrested <laughs> at the U.S. border. Listen, the only thing, it, it, honest to goodness, it was because I thought, okay, I don't want to end the current event <laughs> talk on something so heavy. So I wanted to toss something lighter in there. And I literally just went through 
the um not the discovery page, but you know, on Twitter where you just look at trending topics. And there he mm-hmm. was, and it was like, okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> I, I can't do this. <laughs> Hiding his face with the fan of money. <laughs> I'm rich, that bitch. Is the, that is the height of niggerness. It is. <laughs> it is the personification of absolute asinine nigger type behavior. Like it was. And I'm mad that I'm even exposed to it. I didn't even know what this happened. Thank you, Chris. Like, like, I, I, I don't know why I needed to know that he came out of court saying, his, you know, his face with with money. Um, and he's just so problematic in so many ways and so disrespectful. I almost think that it must be some type of mental defect. And so there is that. That's all I have to say. He really so needs to go away. But did you know his name used to be Diusen Octave, and he changed it to Bill K. Capri? Well, see, I I did hear him say his real name before, which, you know, he's Haitian, if I'm not mistaken. I knew his name was different. I did not know that he had changed his name, but I did notice that outlets were referred to him as this Bill Capri and I didn't know I thought maybe that was like some alter ego in one of his songs or something because I don't listen to him I mean I'm not a fan of his at all so I just didn't know what that was all about but <laughs> if I'm gonna change my name I'm gonna do something better than Bill right <laughs> yeah I'm just like you know sometimes I think about my Starbucks name I'm like oh, if I had like a, an American name but it wouldn't be Bill. <laughs> my, my Starbucks name is Consuela. That's not a Starbucks what? name. There's too many letters. And that's why okay. it's my Starbucks name. <laughs> at, one, at one while, I was using almost a different name every time I went to Starbucks. And so... <laughs> you forgot which name you used that day and they were like, well, no. Consuela, your latte ready. The girl, the girl was like, I mean, she would just start laughing when I would come through the door because she knew I was going to use a different name. And she was like, are we ever going to know your real name? And I was like, we've used my real name before. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but we've used it. <laughs> but yeah, with Kodak, yeah. I, what was so funny to me was hearing or reading rather Twitter talk about it. So apparently he didn't even know that he had crossed the Canadian border. And and some of the people on Twitter say that in that area, it is really easy to cross the border and maybe not realize you have. But at some point, you're going to see a sign that says, welcome. So was he in, like, Detroit? Like, how? That's, that's what they said. He was in Detroit. It is super, like, you literally are in Detroit, then you're in Canada. That's what they said, that he was in Detroit and um, that he was on a back road and ended up in Canada. So where he got arrested was at the, you know, border patrol because when they realized they were in Canada, they turned around and tried to come back. I don't know why they didn't just come back the same way they went instead of coming back through the checkpoint. I don't I don't get that, but whatever. kind of like when you're in Columbus and then you end up in Alabama. This is true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. This summer, uh, we were in we were in Detroit for a family reunion, and it's literally exactly how it's described. Now, mind you, there is some signage, but I would assume if if I'm following you, Chris, it he didn't necessarily go through the the tried and true checkpoint. Which I don't right. know how he did that. Honestly, I'm not from there. 
but um i did notice like all we were we were navigating and i looked to my left and it was like canada this way um, yeah <laughs> and it was just like that quick um however um i don't know if there's like a back channel to 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 from detroit to to yeah um, there because like I, if i'm not mistaken there you have to go over a bridge I'm not sure. I don't but know. All that to say, I don't give a shit about Kodak Black. Uh, <laughs> I was like, honestly, I don't feel sorry for him. Like, no. Go to jail all the time. I don't care. <laughs> I, I, I canceled Kodak Black when he made that comment at the at the beginning of his uh, quote-unquote career when he said something about how repulsed he was by women who had dark skin. Right. And at that point, um, I don't need to buy Kodak. Like, I have nothing for you. <laughs> like, if it wasn't for his shenanigans, I wouldn't even know of him. I don't listen to his music. I don't. And I want, I try to check out the new kids all the time. But like you said, he made that comment very early in his career. And so I was I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm done with you. But he just keeps doing stupid stuff. And, and <laughs> in my defense, when I first picked this um, topic, he was still locked up. And so, you know, but he's out now waving a money fan in front of his face. <laughs> Looking like Lisa Simpson. <laughs> That's why I don't feel bad for the hip hop community when they felt so deeply aggrieved that he said what he, he said about Lauren London. And I'm like, you should have been aggrieved when he, you know, said ridiculous things about women of certain complexions within our community. You should have been aggrieved at all these rape charges. You picked a really convenient time to be just totally pissed off at something Kodak Black said or did. Now, so you they know, can, like, you they know niggas don't need. You know niggas don't need. <laughs> you know that they pick and choose. <laughs> they pick and choose what is just absolutely crossing the line you know yeah. for, forget all of these women who you know are the reason you have a career because I know I am personally responsible for a lot of y'all careers for, forget about that we just gonna pick and choose what we get upset over so yeah okay that mean in mind either mm-hmm. but anyway yeah. so, so much for coming done talking <laughs> about that roach hopefully he doesn't come back and just <laughs> Not the roach. Like roach. He just keeps coming back. <laughs> I really want him to drink some water. Go ahead. Yeah, I he hope he moisturizes that newly dyed hair because it's gonna pop out. <laughs> Anyways, moving along to someone something. Of course, they had to talk about home and the album and the documentary. It was funny because. The night before, Chris was like, I have to convince title that I'm still a student just in case that Beyonce drops something. So the next morning, Becca was like, how'd y'all know Beyonce was going to drop something? <laughs> but neither was you. It was like, because we've been doing this for a long time. So what I want to do is just take this moment and appreciate <sighs> homecoming for the blackness that it is. 
And so what I did was I scoured the interwebs and found like top five moments. And we're just going to kind of go through those moments. And of course, you know, always interject with something because a compliment for Beyonce is always a compliment that is right on time. Okay. (laughs) So the first thing everyone talked a lot about was the entrance and it was amazing. I So let me check did, did everybody stay up and watch the actual Coachella stream when it happened? Yes. No. You didn't stay up, Sean. Girl, I got a dog dog. Sean, me and you, <laughs> Sean, you remember, you remember Michelle. Me, uh-huh. and, me and Michelle were like texting each other, trying to keep each other awake. <laughs> well, we, well, I don't want to sleep for nobody, okay? As much as I am a Beyonce fan, I think she's an amazing artist. I actually think she is the entertainer of our lifetime and probably a couple of lifetimes after that. And then, just in case, for good measure, press down, shaking together, even after that lifetime is over, here comes Baby Blue. Okay. Blue is going to be a whole damn problem. Okay. We're going to get into Blue. We're going to get into Blue. But, no, I don't don't stay up. I don't stay up for nothing. Like she'd already sold her on the run tickets or whatever. So we were like, Oh, she's gonna drop this album. This is the way she's gonna snatch our wigs. No, because she's rude. But <laughs> <laughs> so I remember I was in like my friend had like a birthday thing, so we're all staying in a hotel room. Everybody's asleep. I'm under the covers trying to watch Coachella. Sleepy as shit, but I'm like trying to watch Coachella. Trying to see if she gonna drop this album <laughs> well, she had a whole other plans though. She was like, first we gonna do Coachella. I'm gonna make them wait for a year. Then I'm gonna drop the Netflix special and the album. So when that? <laughs> oh wait, wait. But I will say, you know, she came out with some shirts that was like, because people have been talking about why would she release a Formation World Tour DVD? So I she saw like that. sold shirts. I saw that. The FWP DVD. I said, why is my fame so petty? Why is my fame so petty? Okay, for for good measure and for the listening audience and for those of us who've had one too many cocktails, what the shirt say? Uh, I'm trying to pull it up, but basically it was something like, where is the FWT DVD? So, Formation World Tour DVD. And then she's selling them, like, as yeah. merch. <laughs> she's rude. <laughs> when the show started, you all know me, you already know, the tears started forming. I didn't cry. I didn't cry all the way. But I was like, oh, this is black. <laughs> just at the very beginning. And so she had such this regal interest. And it was just so amazing. So the next thing that everybody was talking about was just the whole homecoming concept of doing a show that is based around an HBCU homecoming. And one of the things I remember was Miss Tina or Miss Tina saying that she told me, I say, I don't, I don't think you know, your Coachella audience is going to get it. And Beyonce was like, so? And when I read that, it made me tear up all over again because it was like, she knew. She knew these little white girls with these flower crowns was not going to get this. She didn't do it for them. She did it for me at home, in my bed, watching on the laptop. Yes, for me. <laughs> Everybody say, yes, for me. What God has for me, it is for me, okay? <laughs> 
Those are two different songs, but okay, I'm gonna let you watch. I mean, I mean, you were singing the prom just for me. I remember. I remember now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up on my on my '90s commercials. <laughs> Funny enough, I was listening to the album today while working out. And sometimes she'd be like, if you know the words, sing along. I'm like, Beyonce, who the fuck doesn't know the words? <laughs> we all know the words. Right, right. And I think that's that's um, an important part of her star power and an important part of her platform is that just through her music, she has such a huge audience that she can do whatever she wants to do but the music is still there, so she knows she's going to pull those numbers in. You know what I mean? To, to me, it's a can, and like I'm a long-time Beyonce fan, or stan, as, as some people call it. But to me, it was akin to that time. Do y'all remember when she was at the BET Awards singing Ave Maria? Yes. And yeah. everybody was like, hmm. That's interesting. But then we were like, it don't matter what she's singing. It's Beyonce. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think part of what made me so emotional in real time when I was watching it the first time and even more so watching the documentary is that she took something that is so niche for everyone else. It's, it's, it's on brand for us. We black, we know what it means to go to an HBCU homecoming. We know what that experience is like. We we got all the references. We know all of this, but she took all of that blackness and put it on stage for the world to get a glimpse at what is important to us. And one of <laughs> uh, one of my friends texted me and was like, "I'm listening to this album, and I'm t- and mind you, she is not a crier at all." And she's like, I'm tearing up and I don't know why. I was like, girl, because it is black as fuck. And it is beautiful. And it's like, you can't get, like, I can't get over it. Like, I just, I can't get over it. I'm overwhelmed now just talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) She has that that power and um, that amazing um, performance ability. It's just, she's a force. And that's the beautiful thing about her, especially like in this latest chapter of her career is she's been so unapologetically that black and so proud and like linking uh, tidbits of her heritage. Like to me, just when you think nothing could surpass the brilliance of Lemonade, she's like, well, wait until I bring y'all this HBCU experience to this lily white (laughs) audience. Right. And, audience be damned my you know the, who, I, who i'm speaking to they, they will see it they'll stay up like chris did yes and um experience it and the, i mean i love that about her is that she she will go that extra mile to just create an amazing visual experience and vocally like who does it better beyonce is amazing it's There's, amazing it, it, it's like hard to talk about her because all you <laughs> Like the 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 way you describe her is it becomes like redundant. Like she's amazing, <laughs> but the bitch is amazing. You're <laughs> at a loss for words. And yeah, the thing about it is too. What I loved about the whole experience was how for the diaspora, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where we were raised. It doesn't matter what our personal experiences are. 
we all get the same cultural references. I don't mm-hmm. think, I mean, I didn't go, I, I went to a predominantly white institution. All of us went to predominantly white institutions. And, but we, but we knew what was happening because it's just a part of our culture. And that, that always, that's something that always amazes me, like on black Twitter, when someone will say something and it's like, we all did have the same fucking experience. Like everyone, <laughs> like before uh, Easter, we all knew what that person called on the helmet. Yes. <laughs> it's a universe, and that it is beautiful. Like it's especially beautiful. in corporate America, where you know there's there may be limited amounts of of black folks in your office, and you give the the um your colleague that look. Yes, <laughs> yes, and we we instantly know what we mean. Right, <laughs> oh, like. No. To a coworker, I was like, "Did y'all have the fruit magnets?" And she's like, "No, what are you talking about?" So I walked a few rows over to my black coworker. I was like, "Did y'all have the fruit magnets?" And she's like, "Yeah, my grandma had it." Yeah, I don't know where we got it from. <laughs> in that same kitchen, there was that big ass spoon and that big ass fork. Yes. that big ass wooden spoon and fork. Yes. And in the living room, there was a picture of Jesus and, M- and MLK. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. My great-grandmama had the picture of MLK and Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> granny, wait a minute. No, not Granny. Granny's mama. And at the bottom, it said, the three that set us free. I want a black Lord Supper in my dining room. Because it's appropriate. Yeah. Go to that hair store and get you some I'm things. sorry, my lip is totally <laughs> on the floor at the three that set us free. I like, <laughs> listen, and I wish, I, I hate that I didn't get it out of the house before somebody somebody else got it, but I wish I had gotten it out of the house. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. People do not believe me when I tell them about that picture. It is Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, and John F. Kennedy, and at the bottom it says the three that set us free. <laughs> uh, amazing. Amazing. Anyway, and now and now to perfectly segue back into the original conversation. Yeah. Now we need to see a picture of Barack Obama, right. Oprah, mm-hmm. and Beyonce. Oh, that is a. I bet you can find a picture at a hair store somewhere. Oh. <laughs> I bet you can. It's it's right next to the picture of Left Eye and Biggie and Pop <laughs> and Aaliyah with their wings. <laughs> Oh, Lord, this, this is the truth. I love my people. I don't always agree, but I love my people. <laughs> I don't agree with Granny. The three that set us free, but I'm a rock with <laughs> right, right. It's, it's crazy. It, it's crazy. I, I have to move on because we will stay on the blackness part of it forever. So the next big part that everyone was talking about was how Beyonce. First of all, the difficulty she had with her pregnancy and then how she bounced back. So we mentioned earlier about Doyen's diet. <laughs> <laughs> so Doyen, did you attempt to do the no sugar, no alcohol, no meat, no carbs, did you no bread? Did you try to do all that? Clearly you see that I drank <laughs> alcohol. I had like little pita plate pieces, so definitely had bread. Um I definitely had meats. 
when Beyonce was going, when she was talking <laughs> about the diet in the documentary, and then she ends on the note saying, and I'm hungry. <laughs> so hungry. <laughs> my, my spirit. She's also breastfeeding. And like, that's what I you're thought hungry too. when you're breastfeeding. That, I don't know how you know, but that's the first thing I thought too, because I was like, but I thought if you were breastfeeding, and that's a lot of calories, like, you're going to be hungry. But she worked her tail off, and she was saying how she did Soul Cycle and Pilates, and you know, and then, <laughs> and then, like, they show you, I mean, you see glimpses of her post-pregnancy body. And as the documentary progresses, you see her come back into her Beyonce form. Now, my personal favorite Beyonce, which whatever Beyonce is happy with is, of course, what I'm happy with. But my personal best Beyonce body is when she's got a little cake on her. Like, I like when she's a little thick. That's oh, yeah. my favorite. That ass was fat body. in Coachella. It was fat. <laughs> she wanted it all to see. Like, ass forward to the stage. Like, she didn't care. Yes. Like, I love when Beyonce had the cake and when them titties be full. Like, I love the, I love the thicker Beyonce. But and I think, I think preferably, and I don't know this for certain, but I mean, her diet is all, I think she's, she's been vegan for a while. I think yeah. I read she encouraged us to be vegan and I was like <laughs> it's not gonna work this time Beyonce <laughs> we do everything else you ask us to do are you really telling us you don't want to go down to the five guys burgers and fries right I can't do that for you be but like Mm-mm. um, I Mm-mm. think of one of the things about the length of her tour because she can sell out shows domestically and international. If you notice, like, in the progression of, like, the beginning of a tour, she'll start off with Sick'em Stones, Beyonce, the one, you know, yeah. the, the Beyonce we love. But if you think about, like, how strenuous um, her her choreography is by the time she gets to that lag leg of the tour, yeah, it out considerably, and it's just because the... um the uh, the amount of work it goes into just performing not even practices um practices none with notwithstanding just the actual performance yeah once you do that every night for however many tour dates you get a leaner slimmer Beyonce but every version of Beyonce is perfect it it really yeah, is I, um I went to she came to Dallas twice for Miss Carter World Tour. I think the first time was like in July and the second time was in December and I could see like the weight loss difference between mm-hmm. those and she had just had blue the year before anyways so you could definitely see like the change in her body but also I think about the fact that like you know nowadays they say pregnancy past 35 is a geriatric pregnancy so at this you know point in my brain I'm like well oh. I will <laughs> definitely be a geriatric right <laughs> oh, I do will too cause- no time soon but i'm just like i think about like how how much harder it gets to bounce back as you get older and then especially with c-sections i've heard that's like hard and like it's even hard to like breastfeed because your body didn't get that natural you know sign that you got rid of those kids and things like that so i'm just like oh my gosh Just love it. <laughs> I mean, once again, like Shonda said, amazing. You just get stuck on amazing. So before I move on to the last point, I do want to toss in <laughs> in the documentary where she's, you know, they're at practice and she says, well, we got to get out of here because I got to go home. 
to my 5th 11 cheering. <laughs> and I, what I love about Beyonce so much is that she country just like me. Right. And, and that's the thing. <laughs> Go ahead. That's what we forget because she is so limited with the press that she is still Houston, Texas. She baby. is so. When she, said, when she said 50 left cheering, and she wasn't, she wasn't like putting on. Like she wasn't trying to be funny. That was, she was just saying, I got, 50, I got to go home to my 50 left cheering. And especially when we talked previously about like the dopeness of Beyonce and how like her, how universally we're proud as black women when we see her perform. But particularly as a Southern Black yes. woman, mm-hmm. our dialect, the fact that she says she had a hot sauce in her bag, with the fact that she references certain places that we are all so familiar with as it relates to, you know, her lineage, where her father's from, where her mother's from, how they settled in Houston. It's just like, because sometimes, you know, as, as Southern Black women, we feel not only are we looked over from the stance of being black and being a woman, but then our, our access, you know, right. the further south we go is right. sometimes limited. And like the, the fact that she embraces, you know, the beauty of being a woman born of the south, the fact that she would even do the country song, um, you know, daddy's lesson as a nod to her roots around, you know, um, that that type of mu- music and you heard maybe a little bit of Zydeco with flavor in the blue right right and that, that particular song it's like man Beyonce's the shit <laughs> there's no way around it there's no way around it and like I love her country ass like I love I love to hear her talk I love when she cusses and I think my favorite part of her shows are her random like growls or when she like like when she just makes a noise, like I just it just does something to me. Like I love it. I just love it. So But I will but, say today I was listening and she says deja vu and I don't understand. Okay, I missed that this whole time. I, I have not picked up on that, but of course it's okay, probably listen to a live one. Of course it's probably because I'm always singing with it. So that's probably why I never hear it, but I do not want to hear it, so I'm not going to record. So the last, you always have to be so disrespectful. So the last thing we're going to talk about, um, of course, what listen. So Doyen watched the documentary before I did, and I said, "Am I going to cry?" And she said, "Yes, you are." And of course, I cried several times, but uh. <clears throat> When they let Blue Ivy sing, I lost <laughs> all my shit. I lost Blue it. is amazing. I love. Yeah. I am. Everything. I think I might be a bigger Blue Ivy fan. And oh, this, I, this this says a lot. I might be a bigger Blue Ivy fan than I, I or or really close. Like I love everything yeah. about that little girl. I love the fact that she. That that you know her hair, uh, the fact that you know she, grown people attack this baby about you know her her hair, and now she's like got inches on inches, <laughs> swinging in the wind. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that it looked like she running shit. 
and teaching Coro. Come okay. on, Blue. Like Come I, on. I have always said, I do believe that Blue is in charge of the girls. And when that little clip came out, I was like, mm-hmm. I knew it. I knew it. Blue is we knew that, that Blue was in charge when they were at the Grammys or somewhere and she touched both her parents. Right. Like, <laughs> like we got on our good clothes. I need y'all to act like y'all been somewhere. Cause I cut out that clapping down. She told uh-uh. And she stopped them. Like I don't I can't remember when I stopped my parents from doing anything. <laughs> Girl, it's a lifelong struggle to get Barbara to even call you from day to day. My mom's so gangsta. So she like, I I'm the mama, y'all call me. So there's that. <laughs> Does Barbara ever get to try out the chicken salad place? No, she has not. Um, I because I haven't been the day and I thought about her. <laughs> I haven't been home, and so you know when either either you can volunteer to go to to, uh, to Westport and pick her up and take her all the way to Tupelo for some damn chicken salad. <laughs> no, the place is in Starfield, but it's not. I mean, it's just tell her it's really not worth it. I mean, it has a decent taste, but it's not worth it. Like, as long as you can get rotisseries from sales for $5, we'll be going exactly. over that far. Exactly. So, anyway, mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, Blue Ivy singing, lift every voice and sing. And then she put her own little runs in there. Come on, Blue. Mm-hmm. Listen. Oh. And then she has a little voice, which I mean, you know, but, oh, my God. It was just beautiful. I loved it. And while y'all sneaking and putting out pictures of Beyonce's children, if you just had waited a couple of weeks, you would have gotten to see the twins in the way that she wanted us to see them. And <laughs> <laughs> there's so many memes. Somebody said, uh, Sir looked like he bite. <laughs> oh, he's so Somebody else was like, uh, Sir looked like, why are you looking at my mama? <laughs> he, he has this, and like, Rumi looks so sweet. Like she looks like the sweetest little angel. She has this little smile, and then Sir looks like he will cut you. He's looking like he just has his daddy scowl. He does. He does. And you know, Blue used to have that scowl too, but he does. What was it that Blue said when um when Jay um let her rap, and if she's like. First of all, she stayed perfectly on beat. <laughs> she stayed and in feeling in her life. What? <laughs> She's like, everything is flocka. And she ain't never seen a ceiling in her whole life. I'm like, girl, I got all kinds of ceilings. I am poor. I am poor. Blue ceiling is so low I can reach a, it. She said she never seen a ceiling. And then all I could do was look up at mine and look at all the walls and the things that confide me. And Blue's like, I'm living my life like it's limitless because okay. both of my pa- my parents are rich. What? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, in conclusion, I just want to say, if you haven't watched the documentary, watch it. And make sure you have tissue spready because you will cry. <laughs> And I really believe, I mean, we all show Beyonce so much love, but I really do believe that we need to like put a little pressure, a little heat on these big conglomerates to give Beyonce her things, give her her album of the year, give her her artist of the year, give her her shit because she earned it and she deserves it. All of that. But at the same time, and I don't know how you feel, Doya, like, I know, like, there's always a lot of chatter when we're shut out of different awards, and it's like, they're not the standard. 
Like, I don't give a shit what nobody says. Lemonade was a brilliant body of work from beginning to end. If yes. you give if you give album of, of the year to anybody but Beyonce, uh, Noel Carter, then who are these people? Who who are these folks who are listening to these albums and then dictating who gets to to get what award? And because it's just terribly inconsistent, like I can't I can't I can't continue to to give credence to the value of a Grammy if you're not really awarding the most talented projects and people. And so they're not. Out. They're not. And they're yeah. not the standard. They're not, you know, awarding the best and the top. But I also feel like as if you're an artist, I just feel like, you know, that's a that's a dream that you have one day to win that Grammy and that, yeah. you know, department. So it's like <laughs> stop playing with us. <laughs> Right. I mean, yeah, I just feel like since if Lemonade didn't win, I don't know what she has to do to convince them that she's Imagine like Adele getting the award and then going to accept and looking down at Beyonce and saying, I know this award belongs to you because like right. Lemonade right. was an amazing body of work and I love the way it made black women feel and you know all of those beautiful things that Adele acknowledged that she accepted the award and it's just like to me when things like that happen and we've seen it again you know almost every every Grammy awards like who wins you know best rap album and and we look at some of those folks who win and we kind of squint and say well is that even rap because like Rest in peace, Nip- Nipsey Hustle, and I think Cardi is amazing, and I've been a life a, a long time Cardi B fan. But yes. like, I but I said then um, that Nipsey Hustle's uh, album should have won Rap Album of the Year because it was true rap, it was true hip hop, and so like now, and I I'm, I, I I totally agree that the acknowledgement um, that comes with winning awards is important. Um, you know, because it says that your peers in your industry sees the value in your work, and that's like an it's like an accomplishment that most artists want. But at the same time, like from my purview, it's like you know, right? Are we? You know, like it's just so disappointing at this point that I'm not. I don't give a whole lot of credence to who got who gets a Grammy these days. Yeah, right. Okay, so. <laughs> We're going to move on to our poor life decision. The whole reason why we're here today. <laughs> so the reason why I really wanted Shonda to come be on this show for this topic is because she's an expert. So <laughs> recently I made a comment to my granny about I'm so tired of church people asking me to do things just because they know I'm not going to say no. And I know that Dorgan has had similar experiences. And so really what we want to talk about today is creating personal boundaries. And so the first article opens up asking some questions like, do you keep agreeing to do things that you don't want to do? Do you tolerate toxic people? You know, do you take things really personally? And so the life coach, Cheryl Richardson, says, you know, basically what you need to do is create some boundaries. (laughs) She gives us three steps for creating these personal boundaries. Step one is self-awareness. 
Step two is setting your boundaries. And step three is about strengthening your internal boundaries. So let's look at step one, being aware. Okay, so the main thing you have to do first is just recognize when you need to have boundaries set in place. Do you feel yourself, you know, constantly agreeing to do things that you don't want to do? Or if you feel yourself tolerating toxic people in your life because you feel like you have to or because they're family, you need to be able to identify when you are letting outside influence make you uncomfortable and when you need to set boundaries. So one thing she did was gave us like three little prompts to help us determine when we need to have boundaries or what our boundaries may need to be. So the first one is people may not, and you complete that sentence. The next one is I have the right to ask for and complete that sentence. And the third one is to protect my time and energy. It's okay to, and you complete that sentence. So the one that stood out the most to me is to protect my time and energy. It's okay to not answer the phone. <laughs> and that's one that I've had to apply in real life because I've had to learn to be very protective of my energy in particular. Any one of these props stand out to you girls? Mm, I guess for me, you know me, I'm very big about protecting my time. Yeah. Um, well, protecting my energy so there's things like it's okay to not be into that podcast that everybody's into because it affects my energy um you hit me big when you're talking about complaining your grandma about church because it's just like you don't want to (laughs) like be mean to church people because it feels like you know something that god told you not to (laughs) so i think especially when you're volunteering in church they can be so draining of your energy because there's only five people volunteering. <laughs> but so, also like, asking and asking. <laughs> but also more specifically to your recent incident, I, I think that was an issue of them not respecting your time too. Mm-hmm. Like we have to do a lot to protect our time as well. Yeah. Shonda, anything stands out to you in these three prompts? Um the first one, people mm-hmm. may not Mm-hmm. There's so many things that you may not do. <laughs> Listen, Shonda is the authority on boundary setting, and I'm just trying to get like her, okay? <laughs> well, it's because, like, through circumstance, you find yourself yeah. totally exhausted. Mm-hmm. And be it, you know, in familial relationships, you know, with family and things that you have to do for them. And then you have to manage your career. Then you have to manage your home life. And then you have, you know, other things that are extraneous to your to your core, like church or friends that start to pull and weigh you down. And I have a whole child who is dependent upon me, who I would rather feed a lot of my, my energy into my kid, you know, or into my home in general. And I just started to put parameters around um, around what I allow people to do. And it offended some people. And I, I, I really hope that they get a degree in construction and build themselves a bridge and get over it. Because <laughs> once, you know, I found that setting boundaries makes me happier then there's no turning back. <laughs> and that's, no. How, that's how 
because like for me and I'm I'm I can and I feel like honestly girls like sometimes you just have to be selfish right you know sometimes you have to do what's in your best interest does this particular sister such and such at church really need your help maybe she does but if it's going to cause you you know to be stressed or have anxiety um is sister so-and-so going to pay that copay you know (laughs) (laughs) seriously um if it's going to cause you to be delinquent about things that are really important to your personal life then i would i opt to take care of my home first charity starts at home right and so that's kind of my rationale for how like i will tell people no now and as soon as i the no as soon as the no enters my spirit, you haven't even, your ask hasn't even been completed. <laughs> you know, I ain't gonna have to do that one. <laughs> and I'm okay with that because, right. you know, sometimes folks, people really do need your help. Yeah. I get that. But I'm not going to constantly put myself in a position where I am exhausted from taking care of everybody else but me. Right. Not yeah. gonna do it. And I think that as Black women, that's something we all have to learn. So when we move on to step two, we talk about actually setting those boundaries. Now, one thing that the life coach points out that I think is very important, be sure that you vent any strong emotions that you may have with this person before you set that boundary, before you have that boundary conversation. Because what you don't want is for them to take it as, oh, this is just something she said out of anger, or for them to think you're just being overly dramatic, as I get called a lot. We want to be sure that you have vented everything you've had to say to them beforehand. And she tells us to use simple and direct language. So she gave some examples, and it was kind of like, you know, you may not yell at me. If you continue, I will leave the room. That is how just be simple and direct. You let that person know, um, you know, it's not okay with me if you come in on my weight and I would like for you to stop. And one that I hope my mother, I have not let my mom know about this podcast. I hope she doesn't find it because I did introduce her <laughs> to podcasts in general. <laughs> but she gives the example to set boundaries with lending adult children money. <laughs> And it's like, I will not be lending you money anymore. I love you and you need to take personal responsibility for yourself. Now, mind you, I do not borrow money from my mom. Um, I do just ask her to buy me things. And I'm very clear that this is a gift because I'm not going to pay you back. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm so I'm just saying, I make sure she knows on the jump, this is, this is a gift. <laughs> And I want you to know that this is the gift that I want you to buy me. So anyway, we're going to slide for just a second and talk about, since we're talking about setting those boundaries, the types of boundaries. So, oh, wait, I had something about the simple direct language. Go ahead. So my thing is, like, when I say no, I like to give, like, reasons, like, just over-talk <laughs> situation. Yeah, we um. Shonda Rhimes said in her book here, yes, that you won't read. That <laughs> I will read. You haven't said, let's do it. I'm, I'm ready. I hear of yes every January. See, I've been trying to get her to read it for like Doyen two is lying. and a half years. Doyen is lying. 
when when I agreed to, I finally agreed this year, 2019, January. I said, okay, Doyen, you want to read it? Let's read it. You had I read it. <laughs> well, you chose to read it without me. I mean, you didn't say, okay, come on, let's start. I would have started. Did I? What's wrong with your Amazon account? Order the book and read it, and we can have a whole nother podcast about the year. Yes, we are yes. going to do a podcast about it. I have ordered the book. I didn't know she started. Is what I'm saying. Like, no, we're not. That is my boundary. We're not going to make me seem like I'm not being a team player. I did want to read the book, and I still don't want to because I don't want to say yes. I love saying no, but <laughs> I'm willing yeah. to do it. I'm willing so to do said. it. So she said no is a complete sentence. And so like just realizing that like, you know, I don't have to explain to anybody why I said no. That's right. Shonda (laughs) was absolutely all right. All absolutely right. Because most Shondas are, first of all. (laughs) Amen. You gotta watch that witch. She 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 sneak up on you, <laughs> and then I totally agree with that. And I do read that book a lot, so I don't know whether that's to help me to develop. Because although it's the year of yes is about saying yes to opportunities that you normally wouldn't say yes to, but those things are very personal for your own growth and development. Yeah. She also encourages the no when it's not to your benefit. Yeah. And so um, maybe uh, maybe that has has seeped into my spirit so deeply because I have no problem with telling, you no. and and a lot of times and in a lot of instances, I don't feel like I always have to explain my no, because it is a complete sentence. And like, I like the language. And if someone needs clarity and explanation because you still want to foster healthy relationships, if you tell someone, well, I can't loan you. $50 $50 or 500 or however much it is, and they they feel like they can ask, well, I know you got it, why not? Then having that language to explain, like, I love you, but the onus of your financial situation is upon you, like the onus of mine right. is on me. <laughs> right. Um, okay, great, have that, that language. But some, a lot of times, just getting that, I ain't got it, bro. <laughs> and that's just like, that is the same thing that both articles talk about with your boundaries is that you don't have to explain it. It is what it is. And like you said, with some relationships that are more personal to you or relationships that you care about and you want to keep them nice and healthy, you may want to explain and that's fine, but you don't have to. So while we're talking about setting boundaries, let's talk about the types of boundaries. So this article from our friends at Shine. Tells us about three. Di- I just waved at Sean like they could see me. Right. I just, yeah, <laughs> I like shook my shoulders. <laughs> I know we love Sean. So they give us three types of boundaries. The first one is the moat, and this type of boundary is like a deep moat around an impenetrable castle. The moat is designed to keep people at a distance, to even physically keep people at a distance. The second one is the doorway which is like a door. A lot of times we have it open and we can allow people into our lives or we can close it at times when we need, you know, time alone or we need to assert our own needs or we need time to figure things out. And then the third one is the rubber fence. 
And that is that is the type of boundary where it's like, you know, you say, okay, no, I'm not going to do this. And then they push a little. And of course, rubber is flexible. It bends and you may even give in. So of those three, what type do you guys think really sits the most with you? The moat, <laughs> the doorway, or the rubber fence? Honestly, I'm all three. And to that's, some extent, that's it's probably like, a really good balance to be yeah, operating. Who you are in my life, but also my moods. And you know how those are. <laughs> so sometimes, especially with my coworker, she's like, let's go on this day. And sometimes it's a doorway. And I'm like, you know what? I just have to let you know how my feelings are that day. Yeah. And the other days, like, she could ask me Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And by Friday, I'll give it. So <laughs> it really just changes depending on how I feel. <laughs> yeah, I'm mostly the doorway, but when it comes to my parents and my granny, I'm probably the rubber fence, but I'm mostly the doorway. What about you, Shonda? Oh, you know I'm a mo. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. I knew it, but I just wanted to let you say it. Lay your ass over that end. Listen, let me tell you something about me and my Jesus. As long as I got Jesus, I'm going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I got Jesus and Tata, I'm going to be all right. And like, I, and I, I don't say that to mean like I'm really closed off and reserved. I have some right. long-standing friendships that, you know, even still like I've had to, to put some parameters and some boundaries around those right. friendships. Um, and, But like anyone in my family will tell you any in my in my personal relationships, my Heisman is strong. Yes. <laughs> I protect okay. I protect my peace at all costs. Because for so long I allowed everybody else's mess to be my mess. Yeah. I talked about to I, I was and you know this, Chris, I'll be your relationship coach, your counselor, your bank. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And it became overwhelming and seemed too much. And then as you grow and you get a little bit older, you need a relationship counselor, cricket. <laughs> That's right. That's cricket. right. No, and, you know, we talk about the strong friends. But, you know, and, and, and a lot of it too might be like my personality because like I will go through a whole breakup and no one will really even know. Because I'm not necessarily like okay. waving, waving it around and playing Mary J. Blige on repeat. Um, but even with the even still, like a lot of the reason why I'm not as vocal about, hey, yo, like this happened in my life and it really sucks, is because sometimes I feel like the only one who cares is my mama and Jesus and Tyra. Right. So, so why am right. I calling calling these people? And because, like, honestly, especially, you know, we, we all have these jobs, right? And you have that coworker that comes into your office and tells you every way they are aggrieved. And then you say, oh, my gosh, and girl, that this happened to me today. And they're like, oh, I got to go to lunch. They don't have time for you. <laughs> it's like, you really about to go to Pie Belly? And I'm telling you that I've been passed over for promotion? <laughs> like, <laughs> where's the equity in that? And so, like, maybe it's a defense mechanism. Maybe, hell, I need to go talk to somebody about it. But, mm -hmm. like, the older I get, the more solitary I become in my thinking. 
And at this stage of my life, I just want to, you know, drink good wine, listen to Megan Thee Stallion twerk a little bit, and it's be on the street. I agree completely, especially with that, you know, building boundaries for how you deal with people based off of history. And that's what's important. And they also, the life coach also tells us that when we're setting boundaries, which we've already kind of talked about this, but there's no need to defend, debate, or over-explain your feelings. Be firm and gracious and direct. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And even when you are gracious and direct, people are still, just because you're saying no to someone you've never said no to before, there may be some kickback. And that person may take it as you're being mean, you're hating me, you're you're trying to tear me down, even though you've used the most gracious <laughs> and the right language you know how, you have to be prepared for that. And it's it, it just know that it's okay. And that even though you may feel bad, you still have to back your boundary up with action. So whatever you say you're going to do, that's what you have to do. So don't say something if you're not going to follow through. I mean, it's the same thing with giving direction to children. Don't say what you're not going to do. So if you say, hey, if you keep talking to me like that, I'm going to leave. Then be prepared to leave if they keep it up. And I always tell my daughter, I was like, if you really want to see like who you're dealing with, tell them no. There's right. power in that no, right? Like if a person is getting everything that they want from you, if every time, you know, someone calls, some dude calls you up and they say, hey, let's go somewhere. And you know, you're too tired to go. You had a long day at work or whatever, but you, you breaking your back to, you know, get, get super cute for him because he called like there, you can't, sometimes you have to create, um, you have to create benchmarks and relationships where they're used to you saying and, and, and seeing how they acknowledge that you're doing what's in your best interest in the moment. The, the real measure of a friendship is for, to me, and this is something that I've gone through, you know, not, not too long ago, is when that person isn't getting from you what they've historically gotten, mm -hmm. how they react to it. Right, right. And so you have to be prepared for that and don't let that deter you. And so that kind of leads into the last step of developing your boundaries, which talks about strengthening your personal boundaries, your internal boundaries. And it says that an internal boundary is like an invisible shield that prevents you from taking in a comment without checking it out first. So they give the example of someone accusing you of being arrogant and you not taking that to heart initially. And when you have this internal shield, you're able to sit with what's being said first and decide, okay, how does this really apply and do I let this affect me? So they say you should ask yourself, how much of this is true about me? How much of this is true about the other person? And what do I need to do, if anything, to regain my personal power or stand up for myself? I think we all face some of those situations where someone has said something to us and caused us to take pause and say, okay, is this really true? Or, you know, is this really them just projecting? I guess I think about like, you know, usually when you get in an argument with somebody, you know, yeah. there's certain things that come up 
a point and I think well like before I've heard I, I was selfish and so I kind of go into hyperdrive with all of my relationships trying to show them that I'm not selfish which I mean if we're all being honest we're all a little bit selfish and it's okay but like I just try to work so hard kind of like I'm kind of like that kid in like a college you know group project where I try to do extra extra stuff just so the people aren't saying that I'm not holding my weight so <laughs> Yes, constantly something where like I do need to sit back and be like, is it something that I'm doing or are they not getting what they want? So they're using that to attack me. Yeah. And and Shonda, what about like (laughs) having someone throw something at you, but then you realize, hey, this person is projecting? You know, I think we're all, I think you have to, it depends on the source. Right. Um, if, you know, Granny comes to you and says, hey, Chris, I've noticed this and this is what I think is happening here. And you're you're being a little selfish or self-centered. How you internalize that is totally different right. than, you know, someone who you don't have like this cold, close personal bond. Exactly. Exactly. And I think depending upon your level of self-actualization, like. I feel very confident. <laughs> and what you laughing at my in my um in my terms? No, I'm laughing because that was the point that I was gonna bring up. I was just gonna close it with that statement that you do have to have a level of self awareness and to be aware oh, of yourself. Because sometimes what people say to you is the truth, but sometimes yeah, it's not, and you need sure. to be able to discern the truth. So that's why I was laughing. <laughs> For sure, because I'm like, over there at Mississippi University for Women, they told me that was an actual phrase. What you laughing at? But, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um, depending upon how self-actualized you are, you have to know that some people, as Zoyan said, they're using that, that those phrases to weaponize mm-hmm. things that you might be insecure about. Um, it might be weaponized in other ways, um, you know, because maybe the, the scuttlebutt in the circle of friends is that you are a certain thing. But at this stage of the game, I am all that God says I am and I know who I am. So there might be instances where someone says, Sean is selfish and to to which Sean says, you're absolutely right. In this stage of my life, I am going to focus and recenter on things that are important to Sean, to Sean's growth, to Sean's development, to Sean's wholeness, to Sean's spiritual, being spiritually centered, to making sure that Sean's core responsibility, being a mom, is taken care of and not so centered in what friends are doing or not so centered in in other things and areas and obligations that really don't help to make Sean a better person. And so sometimes it might be absolutely tr- true that you're being selfish and sometimes being selfish is a-okay. Right. Right. And again, who else is going to take care of you? Right? But mm-hmm. you. <laughs> so the life coach Cheryl Richardson, she ends this out with saying, yes, you're going to feel a certain amount of guilt and that is okay. That is one way you know you on the right track, you know, and especially if you're someone who's always pouring into the next person, it is going to make you feel guilty, but you have to overcome that guilt and you do so by facing it head on and you tell people that, listen, just like what Shonda just said, 
your priority has your priorities have changed. You're growing up. You're learning. You're not the same person you were. However, me not the same person I was yesterday. So as I develop, as I become the best me, I'm learning how to best take care of my ease because I can't help you if I don't help me first. So just be sure that you don't let that guilt consume you and you don't let that guilt make you backtrack. So just to close everything out with setting our boundaries, remember, don't let anyone make you feel like you have to say yes. When you feel yourself in situations where you're agreeing to do things you didn't want to do, you're tolerating people who really just drain you and you feel like you have to because this is your family member. You don't have to do that. Take those three steps, those three steps, be self-aware, setting your boundaries and strengthening your internal boundaries. Take those steps and everything should start coming together and helping you create boundaries for those people. And people, you know, they may have a, a kickback at first, but in general, people respond well to boundaries once they know what they are. Doesn't mean there's not going to be a temper tantrum in the beginning. But once people know, and like I know with me, with some of my cousins even, it's a joke even now. Well, we know we ain't going to ask Chris, but we know that, and you know, and we all laugh, <laughs> Kiki, because uh-huh, you're right. So <laughs> it's like, you know, set those boundaries and then teach teach people how to deal with you. So that was all for our poor life decision. And we're going to move on to Doya's favorite part of the show. So buy you a drink. <laughs> so we'll start with our guest, Shonda. Who are you buying a drink for this week? I'm buying a drink for you ladies because oh. let me tell you this. I am not necessarily like I am very conversational as as you know. Um and and I keep the Twitter streets ablaze. Um <laughs> but I was very reticent to to do the podcast, as Chris knows. <laughs> Um, and not because, and I actually have a couple of friends who are like, you're so animated and you're going to be so funny. You should do, you should do like a podcast or you should, you know, maybe do like YouTube clips cause you cook very well. And sometimes I'm a little bit more reserved when it comes to these sorts of things, not because I'm not capable, but it's like, well, what's, what's my place in this space? And so I guess um, in summary, I'm saying I'm buying you girls a drink because ordinarily I would not be doing this (laughs) 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 because I I was a little bit, um, I guess, uh, apprehensive, um, but I've enjoyed it immensely. It helped me to step out of my box and I'm a queen at saying no, and I said no a couple times, and Christian was like, after you finish saying that, I need you to get a headset, because we're recording. <laughs> so, thank you for helping me to venture out of my safe space over here in um, in the boonies, in the, um, in the suburbs of the Washington, D.C. metro area, um, <laughs> because this is something that I ordinarily wouldn't do, but I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and you girls are awesome. And I listen to the podcast all the time, and I chime in as I'm listening. (laughs) (laughs) So I might as well be mic'd. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So, Doyen, who are you buying a drink for? 
I am buying a drink for my line sisters because this past weekend we made 11 years. That's right. They old. I'm not. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, I just love them, and it's just great to have you know people in your life that are solid and there for you. So buying them a drink, and a few of well, some of them listen to the podcast and text me about it all the time. I almost got one of them thrown out the house by the grandma, but <laughs> oh wow, wow! <laughs> she said she was laughing, and her grandma wasn't happy. But <laughs> so I just love you guys and. Hope y'all have Aww. a free drink. Congratulations <laughs> on your anniversary. <laughs> Sweetness. Well, tonight I'm going to buy a drink and I'm going to offer up a prayer. I'm going to offer up a prayer first for our dear friend and podmate, uh, Becca. She's got a big day tomorrow. We are so super proud of you. We are pulling for you and I'm just excited like it's me. I'm just excited like it's yeah, me. So, I'm about to turn up with this graduation. <laughs> I know it. I know oh. it. So we just want to send you all the, the light and love and prayer. You don't need all of our good looks because you're awesome already, but we just want you to know that we're there with you and good luck. And then I'm going to buy a drink for our guest today, for Chanda. And she kind of already explained why I'm buying the drink because <laughs> she, she, you know, I had to convince, and Robin helped. Robin helped convince her, listen, you can do it. It'll be great. And so I thank you so much for just trusting us and putting your shyness in our hands and agreeing to do the show. And so, that's it. That's all we have. Don't you tell people how they can get in contact with us. So we are on Twitter as PLD Pod. Um, Chris keeps the tweets lit on Sunday nights. Um, <laughs> I could tweet y'all about 8 p.m. The North remembers. <laughs> <laughs> Shonda also doesn't watch Game of Thrones, so um, y'all can bond over that. You're my people. Um, I, I am I am your people. I am your tribe. I don't get it. <laughs> And, like, I'm confused, like, how, like, I feel like I didn't get the black nerd memo that I was supposed to be into this. So now I have, like, FOMO about Game of Thrones. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. And I don't know who Jon Snow is or if it's Snow. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So, like, I asked people about, like, what happened the episode before. <laughs> And work on Monday. I'm like, what happened? I'm like, I just want to know for pop culture reasons. I don't want to watch the actual show. But um, <laughs> if you want to watch it, Chris is here for you. I am here for you. Obviously, it's before I was exposed to premium cable channels. So there's that. So. <laughs> also, I just talk about random aches and pains of being 30 plus. So you can always talk to me about that. Um <laughs> On Instagram, we are Poor Life Decision, one decision because we're changing them one at a time. We're also on Etsy as Poor Life Decision. Um, give us a review. We would love to hear back from y'all. It's really funny because we get a lot of comments and they're like, these Southern gals. And I'm like, do I sound Southern? <laughs> Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> we do. I like, think I don't, it's I like don't, when the alcohol hits. That's what we do. I don't <laughs> think that it's okay. 
<laughs> right. Beyonce said it's okay. And like when we're talking in everyday talk, I don't think I sound that Southern or country right. or whatever. But when I listen to the show, it's like, God damn, I'm <laughs> And I love it. I love it. But we we love whatever reviews we get. And we love to hear back from y'all and see what y'all think. And please slide into our DMs. Let us know what kind of poor life decisions you all are struggling with. It go down in the DMs. It does. Or if it makes you feel better, you can talk about your friend's poor life decision. Ooh. And, you know, like... Shady? Shady. No, but, like, I'm trying to, like, separate the issue from them so they don't feel ashamed. Okay. I think I learned that in psychology class. Okay. Anyways. Thanks, so y'all. <laughs> uh, take your allergy medicine. Call your mom. Drink water. Water your plants. <laughs> Ooh, I gotta water my plants. <laughs> we love y'all. Bye. Bye. Yeah.